Hi everyone, great to have you with us again at the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for mental health, love and compassion. Today's podcast is part two of a live talk that Christian gave on happiness entitled, What Really Makes Us Happy? If you listened in last time, you know that Christian talked about what doesn't make us happy. So in part two, he gives some really practical tips to action to bring more happiness into your life. To start, he continues to bust some happiness myths, then goes on to share some insights from some great thinkers through the ages and what they thought happiness was. I sing some happy notes this time, and Christian finishes off with eight things that really do make us happy. Let's drop in on part two now. All right, then what is happiness? Is it being problem free? When I get rid of all of my problems, will that make me happy? I'm having a lousy time at home here with my parents. I'll be happy when I leave home. Gosh, it's lonely being away from home. I'll be happy when I find someone to love. Oh, we're having a few arguments. Maybe we'll be happy when we get married. Gee, the arguments keep going. Maybe we'll be happy when we get kids. Gee, kids are a lot of work. Maybe we'll be happy when they leave home. And so it goes on and on and on. And if you leave life to be happy when you are problem free, you will never reach happiness. Somehow, we need to be happy in the midst of problems. One last thing that I'll say is that happiness is not delusional hype. It's not giving the impression, oh, I'm having a great time. Uh, Let's talk about John, who I saw in his uh, 20s with the amphetamine addiction. Uh, Let's say that he's now 65, he got his life together, he's become an accountant, and he's about to get the golden handshake and the retirement bonus And what he's always wanted to do is to buy a yacht and sail away in the blue. And to all of his office uh, colleagues, he says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, John, you look so happy. Oh, gosh, yes, I'm going to buy that yacht. I'm going to sail away in the Caribbean. I'm going to have myself the time of the life. Nobody's happier than I am. And everybody thinks, gee, I wish we could be like John. I wish we could be like John. What a happy man he is. However... Later on that night, John's partner sees him crying in the living room. Why are you crying, John? What's up? He says, well, I finally got the money that I want. I finally, I'm going to buy that yacht. But you see, John hasn't spoken to his son for over 35 years. Why has he not spoken to his son? Because he didn't agree with the love partner that his son chose for him, he couldn't take it, so he cut off relationships. John decides to make a very painful phone call. He says, I am going to phone my son. He calls him and he says, son, I'm going to buy that yacht that I've always wanted, but I'm not going to go out on it unless you come with me on the first voyage and we sort things out. Now, in that moment, John is very unhappy. He's miserable. Yet, as far as the long-term sweep of his life is concerned, I put it to you that that John is much happier than the John that gave the impression that everything's just fantastic in his life. There is something in what John was doing in that moment that was genuine, meaningful, and had to do with love of his son, somebody who was close to him. And I put it to you that 
for us to be happy, that we've got to look in that direction, not in the direction of pleasures, money, or fame. Okay, so on to the wisdom of the psychiatric thinkers throughout the ages who have added to this idea of what is happiness. Up until the 1930s, the dominant idea was from Sigmund Freud. This is what Sigmund Freud would say. Happiness, happiness is having a capacity to love, to work, and to play. Thank you very much, Sigmund. On to Abraham Maslow, who in the 1940s, working in Columbia University, said, I'm going to look at what the top 1% of the population are doing right. He found out there are three things, basically, that people need to be doing well in this life. A sense of love and belonging. Self-esteem. And what he said was self-actualization. This idea that you have something in you that's meaningful to you, that you bring forth out into the world. Thank you very much, Abraham. We move on to Viktor Frankl. In the 1950s, he publishes a little book called Man's Search for Meaning. Now, this is no ordinary little book. He was a psychiatrist, a Jewish-Austrian psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust. He was in a concentration camp and said, you know what, this is a pretty bad situation. What I'm going to do is turn this into a giant scientific experiment. I want to see what gives people enough impetus to survive the worst. And he said there were three things that helped people survive. One was love. People who had somebody to love, somebody they wanted to see again, had more of a chance of getting through that than other people. Secondly, people who had purpose. And he put himself in this category. He wanted to show the world that if you had purpose, you could have more of a chance of surviving something like a holocaust. And the third thing was meaning. People who could find meaning even in dire circumstances. Thank you very much, Viktor Frankl. The 60s, what did psychiatrists say in the 60s? Well, psychiatrists in the 60s said it was all about free love, drugs, and rock and roll, just like the rest of the world. We get on to the 70s, where a psychiatrist, indeed a psychoanalyst, somebody who does the sort of work that I do, by the name of M. Scott Peck, writes a lovely book by the name of The Road Less Travelled. What does M. Scott Peck say the ingredients of the life well-lived, happiness, are? He said three things. Finding love, personal growth, growing in yourself, and having a sense of the spiritual, whatever that means to you. In the 1980s, uh, we had two researchers by the name of Brickman and Campbell who basically said, look, it's all genetically um, determined. We're on this treadful trying to get happiness that we can't get. All right, give up. <laughs> well, it, it sounds good. It's just that everybody who comes to see me does not want to give up. Right? They actually want to say, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? We explore that question. And I believe that there are things that we can do. Martin Zeligman, and I'm now in the 1990s, uh, put together what is still the dominant form of psychology today, positive psychology. Now, his idea of what you need for the life well lived is loving relationships, positivity, optimism, 
looking at the bright side of life. And thirdly, a kind of a mixture of meaning, purpose, and pleasure. Thank you, Martin Seligman. Very good contribution. But it was when we got to the 21st century that all the psychiatrists and psychologists had to get out of the way because here came the neuroscientists with their machines that looked at all of the brain that said, we will tell you what's going on in here really. And this is good because somebody like me as a clinical psychiatrist needs the knowledge that the neuroscientists are putting together and codifying for us to put into practice for the people that I treat. So I go to a conference in 2007, uh, neuroscience, and the keynote speaker starts his speech off with this. We now know that the brain is not wired for happiness. We go, oh. <laughs> we pick ourselves up the floor. We listen to all of his stat uh, statistics. We see all of his lovely images of bits of brain and where the neuropathways is. And 20 minutes later comes the answer. The brain is not wired for happiness, but it is wired to learn. And first we go, oh. But then slowly, the implications of what it means to have a brain that is wired to learn become evident. Now, the scientific point of view is that the brain is wired to learn so that we can survive. And over tens of thousands of years, that's what we have done. It makes sense. However, when we live in a society that has survival not as its main issue, but we've kind of got ourselves to the point where we're getting on day to day, we're looking for something more. So that brain, that sense of learning, has to serve something more in you. So I go back to Viktor Frankl. Learning serves three things. Learning serves purpose. Find yourself a purpose. Learning serves love. Because even if you are together just with one person, it takes more than a lifetime to learn about that person and get the relationship right with that one person. Learning serves meaning. Whatever means something to you, find it and express it in your life. Your brain is wired to do that. Now, I'm going to finish off with uh, another acronym where I give you a few letters uh, to let you know what you can do right from now to bring more happiness into your life. But I want to bring us back to Beethoven, how he found a reason to live. And what he did was he took the negative or the dark sound and made it into the light sound. And I'm going to take you through a song that does exactly the same thing. And it's a song about happiness. It's called Happy Together. It's a very simple song. you know the song. Okay, good. As a bit of a treat, Caroline's going to sing some of it for you after I explain how the song works. Because the strange thing about this song is for a song about happiness, it starts off with 
the dark notes. Okay? But what that does is it creates an expectation when the words tell you that this person has met somebody, everything becomes bright. song works. That's what makes it a great song. Caroline, would you like to sing some of it for us? I would. Thank you. Of music, that simple song works the same way that I believe Beethoven's Appassionata Sonata works. This person found a reason to be happy because they met somebody to be happy together, just as Beethoven found somebody at that point of his life. All right, so love is going to feature in our search for happiness, but it doesn't need to be a love just with a personal person. It can be love with your son, as in John had, love with family friends, love. All right, so here's my monic as to how you can walk out today feeling more happiness. And the mnemonic is my girl, M-Y-G-I-R-L. My girl makes me happy. So this is what I mean. The M stands for meaning. Need to find meaning in life and for yourself. And the Y is related to that. Why me? What am I here for? Why am I alive? Now, you may not find a definitive answer to that, and you are not going to find an answer that everybody else agrees with. But if you find an answer to that yourself, you will walk out with more of this feeling of happiness and contentment. The girl, the G, is for gratitude. Now, when I said that we are strange creatures who like to compare each other and we grumble when we're not looking good compared to other, gratitude is the antidote to this. We have dozens of studies that show that gratitude is good for your health, not for your, just your emotional health, but your physical health as well. Feeling grateful every day, every morning, to say just thank you that I am part of this. Thank you that things are going well. Thank you that I have another day to live. Stephen Hawkins, just before he died, said, I had 75 years on this planet, and for that, I'm extremely grateful. The other thing in the G 
is giving. Do what you can to give. Give to charities, give of your time, give of yourself. The strange thing is the more you give away, the happier you yourself become. The I is for independence. One thing that, well actually three things that motivate people beyond money, if you want to get them into a job, is say, look, you can choose your own hours. You can work from home if you like. Now, we, we kind of think that, oh, you've got to keep people working. But we actually live in a society where you've got to stop people from working, right? You've got to say, slow down, slow down. Most people are out there to achieve as much as they can. So if you can offer somebody a job, not only with money, but also independence, that motivates people. Independence is this. When you reach adulthood, you have to leave home or else your happiness is going to dwindle. So sometime in your early 20s, leave home. On the other end of life, when you're finding that your body's getting a bit frail and it just doesn't work anymore and you've got to get around with wheelchairs and walkers and canes, you're losing your independence and it doesn't make you happy. Here is the secret. Do as much as you can. Don't let your carers start getting you things because they can do it faster than you can. Say, no, I still have to do that myself. Tie your own bootlaces if you can. I know it'll take you longer and you will get frustrated, but don't lose the skill. The skill keeps you happy. So the I is for independence. Keep as much of it as you can. The R is for relationships. In fact, not just relationships, but real relationships. Have people with whom you can be your genuine self. And the L is, of course, for two things. One is learning. Keep learning. The neuroscientists have shown that that's what your brain is for. It is for learning. Doesn't matter what age you are, you can learn a new skill, a new language, read books that you haven't read before, but most of your learning I want you to reserve for love. Learn about other people. Learn about people who are close to you. Learn how to share love, how to get on with people, and then you are doing all, I believe, that you can to find happiness and contentment. Thank you very much for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our happiness series. Remember, my girl makes you happy. Looking forward to sharing some great information about how to keep you mentally healthy and happy in our next podcast.